Hello, this is Brad Schwartz, professor and chairman of Southern Illinois University School of Medicine. On behalf of Richard Wolf Medical, the Endourological Society, and the Journal of Endourology, I would like to welcome you to the latest release in our podcast series. Each month, we will be presenting a current events topic of interest to our listeners. On this broadcast, I am happy to introduce Dr. Tom Polasic, Professor of Urology, Duke University, Durham, North Carolina, and President of the Focal Therapy Society. Today, we'll be discussing what is prostate focal therapy and what are some of its applications. Uh, Tom, welcome, and again, thank you for your expertise, your time, uh, and uh, sharing some of your thoughts and ideas with our audience. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you for the opportunity. Basics first, then we'll kind of dive deeper, Tom, into some of the more complex issues. Um, what What is prostate focal therapy, and what do you see are its current indications right now in 2022, moving on to 2023? Well, focal therapy is a way of treating the known cancer and allowing the remainder of the prostate to stay on active surveillance. So it's equivalent in other organs to partial treatment. Uh, partial nephrectomy, partial hepatectomy, um, items of that nature. Of course, uh, we don't see visible tumors on the prostate, so we have to rely on uh, pathological sampling and uh, imaging with multi-parametric MRI. So it's a little bit different. And uh, further, it's uh, customizable, meaning that the uh, operator or physician can decide what they think is clinically significant and requires treatment, uh, because oftentimes we don't treat areas of Gleason 6 or low-grade tumors in order to preserve uh, genital urinary function. So it's kind of a combination approach. Some people would say it's kind of the best of both worlds. It's not surveillance and it's not radical treatment. Uh, it's just right there in the middle. Let me dovetail on that just a little bit, Tom. Why don't we go deeper into that technique just a little bit? You have a patient with an elevated PSA in your room, in your office, and immediately you're thinking, okay, how can I fit this patient into my algorithm of focal therapy? Where do they go? What tests do they order? What kind of things do they start thinking about as far as further diagnostics? What uh, personnel are required in the room? Do you do these in the OR? Do you do them in the office? Kind of just talk about your in your mind what kind of planning that you're going through. Well, I think we rely on most of the evaluation that we do for diagnosing and managing prostate cancer. So, you know, first they come in with an elevated PSA or maybe perhaps an abnormal MRI nowadays. There's suspicion of cancer. They go through a standard biopsy. It could be a conventional 12 core. It could be uh, if they present with a ROI or a target on MRI, it could be a image targeted fusion biopsy, and then the diagnosis of cancer is made. So typically we would see the patient at that entry point. We get a lot of interest with focal therapy, but to be very frank, many men who come in are not candidates. They have either very aggressive disease or many foci of disease where we can't target it, but we would have to define a target as a starting point. So once a diagnosis of cancer is made, we have to define a single or sometimes a double target in order to target and treat it with image targeted techniques. 
are these all cryo or are they heat or combination or can you use both? Well, we probably have a good half dozen different uh, options that are available today. Uh, they may not be available to each position, but uh, they are commercially available. And then it depends on expertise and practice patterns of the uh, physician. Uh, but, you know, we have a, a whole uh, toolkit, so to speak, of of ablative options that we can use. And for the most part, when we talk about focal therapy, we're talking about ablation. Although I have to add that you can add medical interventions to that, things of that nature. But for the most part, we're talking about different forms of ablation, such as cryo or ice therapy, HIFU, heat therapy, laser, et cetera. Let's teach our listeners about the guidelines. Uh, what what are the AUA and EAU guidelines uh, regarding focal therapy as they stand currently? Well, I wish I had uh, more news uh, to add, uh, but they're really not in the guidelines at this point. Now, the, as you know, we have a focal therapy society, and one of our current tasks is to uh, put together a white paper on ablation. And we're looking at both HIFU and cryoablation because these technologies and techniques have been around now for over 25 years. But we're tackling really the first step and talking about whole gland ablation rather than focal ablation because focal is really, um, you know, one step beyond whole gland at this point. So we're just trying to get ablation into the guidelines. It's, it's in the guidelines, but it's, it's, it's kind of an alternative at this point. Uh, focal itself is not really considered to be a standard of care uh, making the guidelines at this point. Obviously, your goal as the society, which falls under the Endourological Society umbrella, is to potentially convene a committee and try to gather the data and try to fit something into the guidelines and on both sides of the uh, Atlantic, I presume. That would that would be the goal. But, you know, to be fair, the people in charge of guidelines, they always want really strong data. They want RCTs, level one data, items of that nature. And, and you know yourself as um, whenever you have these new technologies, it's really hard to run clinical trials and, and deliver that type of data. But as, as I mentioned, we have nonetheless uh, over 25 years of use for some of these uh, different modalities. When you're in the room doing this, um, what, what what's the hospital investment or, or what type of equipment must a hospital start thinking about acquiring and what kind of personnel are needed when uh, you're doing these procedures? Well, usually the basic platform that we use is, for the most part, is a, a high-quality ultrasound and a um, fusion targeting device. Once you have that, that allows you to use whatever type of ablative technology that you want. And normally those are mobile. You can wheel them in. They're small units. Uh, the hospital doesn't even need to own them. You can rent them, but they are in many hospitals uh, today. The other alternative is to use in-bore MRI techniques. We have certain ones that with a treatment scanner, you can place patients in the bore and treat them in that fashion. Teach us about reimbursement. Is there even a code through CMS? Is there uh, are most of these just done either under experimental or research purposes, or are they uh, out-of-pocket expenses for the patient seeking this treatment? There are codes. For example, cryoablation, we've been doing that for many years, and there are CMS codes to do that. 
And recently, uh, Haifu has some codes as well. So these things are rolling out. Sponsored trials right now are ongoing, and, and usually those services are covered within the context of the trial. And we are participating and soon to participate in three such trials uh, this fiscal year. So there are opportunities for physicians to participate and patients to get treated on trial. And remember that we always feel that the best treatment, and this is per the NCCN guidelines, is enrolling in a clinical trial anyway. I think from a purist point of view, patients should either be on trial or at least in a registry so we can look at the outcomes of what we're doing. So Tom, some of the older folks in the crowd, uh, you know, and, and I know this is clearly water under the bridge. I think all of this just needs to be forgotten. And I think it needs to, the data would clearly suggest it is a safe treatment, but it's clearly a lot of the older folks, some of the older generation remember prostate cryo was, you know, basically the forerunner to a horrible uh, fistula and uh, rectal necrosis and things like that. Maybe just if you could go over some of the complications, how would you counsel your patient? Uh, how safe is it? And and uh, what can some patients expect uh, short, medium, and long-term after this type of treatment? Well, you're right. I mean, in, in terms of cryoablation, there's many studies that show fistula rates are low, and we just published our 20-year outcomes with zero fistulas. And that's for whole gland again. That's, that's freezing the entire gland. Um, so those are extremely rare. But, you know, there's complications with anything that we do. You know, there's loss of erectile function, incontinence, um, injury to surrounding structures. But in general, focal therapy has a lower complication rate compared to whole gland because we're only treating a very small portion of the gland. So in general terms, the continence rate is probably 98, 99, 100% in all series. It's pretty amazing. The potency rate depends on where one is treating, how large of an area, how close to the nerve bundles, and perhaps the energy source. But, you know, looking at it, most men are quite sexually active afterwards. So I think for that front, it's probably the best treatment. I'm a little biased, but I can't imagine any of the whole glands being better. But the real potential complication, as you know, is not getting all the cancer. And that's our main challenge. We know that we purposely don't treat every cancer. As we mentioned, we can monitor some of these smaller Gleason 6s, but we aim to treat all the clinically significant uh, 7s and above. So I think if anything, we may fall short on the cancer uh, outcomes. But again, the way this is structured, if you need to be treated at a later time, you can get additional treatment. So you alluded to it a little bit in that answer. How would you respond to the people who say, well, look, I mean, I have a patient with multifocal disease um, and you're just going to treat parts of it. How do we know that they're not other Gleason 7 and 8 in areas that we didn't biopsy or other areas of the gland? That just Are those just patients you just don't offer this therapy to? Or is it something that you can, as you said, you can just come back later and, and keep monitoring them and put them under an active surveillance protocol? Yeah, again, to be fair, there are people who do need aggressive whole gland treatment, and, and this is not for them. It's up to the physician to select patients. And I think if you're asking what's the most important thing for focal, it is patient selection. One of the benefits is that you can come back and, and retreat. 
But I think with any focal therapy program, trying to choose the right patient for this treatment is the most important. You know, when we first started out, we were purists and wanted to treat and get all the cancers. But now we realize that our goal is to treat the clinically significant ones. And we're okay with monitoring some of the smaller Gleason 6s or more indolent tumors. So we understand that just like we do with active surveillance. You know, recently there was an article came out with a point counterpoint that suggested we don't even call Gleason 6 a cancer. It's more of a benign entity that we just need to follow. Does the Focal Therapy Society or you personally have any kind of comment on what side of the fence you might lie on that? I'm very happy that the pathologists have weighed in. They feel that this is a cancer. So we we do call it a cancer. But I'll be honest with you that the hardest thing that we have is getting patients back into the office to be followed and monitored because inevitably they all feel great. They feel normal. They don't have these side effects that we're talking about. And oftentimes they don't come back into the doctor's office uh, because of that. So some of these Gleason 6s, even the active surveillance population, the challenge is is getting them to realize that they do need monitoring over time. We'll finish up, Tom, on uh, a question I just always like to ask uh, of our experts, uh, because you have the insight that uh, not everybody has. What do you think is on the horizon, uh, other than the guidelines, other than making this a little more commonplace, kind of permeating this into the urology world of making it you know, truly a, a treatment we can all embrace and, and offer? Is there any technological uh, horizon or anything in the future that might further enhance this treatment or might make it easier for practitioners or maybe expand on that concept just a little bit. What what can we look for in the next one, three, and five years, perhaps? Well, I'll focus on two items, but as you know, technology is always improving and changing, so that will continue to happen. But first is we always need better imaging. Cancer is a cellular disease, and if we had a way of seeing the boundaries of the, of the cancers better. It may be, you know, MRI is very good, but we know that sometimes you have to treat eight millimeters beyond that because there's MRI invisible cancers. So if we had a more precise way to see these boundaries from an imaging point of view, I'd leave it as the first point. The second point is, you know, focal could be combinatorial therapy. In other words, we focus on the ablative devices, but there's no reason that we can't use drugs to enhance cell kill. Uh, we're working on a protocol where we can inject immunotherapeutic agents into these MRI visible uh, lesions to enhance killing of these cancers. But there are other things you can do. You can give systemic uh, agents. But remember, the point is most of these men are very healthy, they feel well, and they don't want the side effects of systemic agents either. Although there's some very good ones out there, we have to be careful to minimize the um, the side effects of this treatment. Fantastic. Well, Tom, you're, you're always a very eloquent, knowledgeable speaker. I enjoy listening to you talk. On behalf of the Endo Society and Wolf and the uh, Journal of Endourology, I want to thank you for your expertise and your time. And uh, we look forward to great things from you and your colleagues. We're looking forward to the future. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. On behalf of uh, Richard Wolf Medical, the Journal of Endourology and the Endourological Society, I thank you for listening today and hope you can tune into the next podcast. <laughs>